What's up, achievers? Welcome to Achieving Fitness, where we answer all of your burning questions about fitness, health, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Pack, and today we're going to cover how to tell the difference between discomfort and pain or injury, uh, why your hamstrings might want to spasm or cramp during a glute bridge, and what steps and timeline we recommend for someone desiring a career change into personal training. We're super excited, so let's get into the show. And by the way, please vote on if you want Jason to keep going burning or if you think it's ridiculous <laughs> and we'll, we'll take your vote into consideration. I, I think it adds a lot of drama. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> all right. All right. For real, let's get into the show. <laughs> all right. So question number one comes from Leslie, who happens to also be my mom. Um, if any of you have ever started something on your own, you know that in the very beginning, most of the likes on Facebook and the contributions <laughs> to anything that you do are from your mom. Uh, so thank you, mom, for contributing. Um, but she actually had a really great, great question. So she said, if you're newer to training, um, how can you differentiate between appropriate levels of discomfort from training versus pain or injury? So this can be really tough because in order to get any kind of response that you want from training, you have to have some amount of stress on the body. You have to put some amount of stress on your body. Um, but too much stress on the body will end up causing you pain or injury. So there is a very fine line there where you do need some discomfort in order to spark that progress that you're looking for. But obviously you don't want it to be pain. Yeah, this one can be a little bit tricky because most, most of the time people that are asking this question are beginners, right? And they usually have no sort of context of what um, an injury would feel like or um, of what just extreme soreness might feel like. Um, so I think I think there are three things with this. Um, number one, it would be, is this more of a pain that's located at your joint? Let's say like your elbow or your knee or your shoulder, or is it more of a generalized um, aching in your muscles? Um, so if it's a joint pain, we would definitely recommend seeing a physical therapist probably yeah. as soon as possible. But if it's a muscular ache, I think you could t kind of take some time and see if that actually dissipates. Um, the second thing is, is it a generalized muscle ache, like I was just saying, or is it a sharp localized pain? So, you know, let's say you just did leg day and you're walking up the stairs. Is it a very sharp pain in your left hamstring or in your right butt cheek? <laughs> <laughs> or is it just a general like, oh, my legs are so sore. It, it just hurts to move them. Um, so... I'm trying to tell the difference between a generalized or a localized pain. And then the third thing is if it goes away, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a soreness will dissipate, whereas pain, if you don't take care of it or go get it looked at, it may last a lot longer. So soreness, like, it, and if you're newer to training, you might have delayed onset muscle mm -hmm. soreness, which is called DOMS, and that could take a couple days to even show up and then a couple more days to even go away. Mm -hmm. um, so I would give yourself, you know, four or five days to of soreness before you start saying like, okay, this might be worse than, than I thought. This might actually be an injury and, and going to seek someone out to check on it. If it's generalized and not localized, like Jason was talking about. Right. But if it was a localized pain, what we usually recommend is just to stay away from movements that might cause any further issues. So if it is some sort of, um, left hamstring tweak, we, we definitely recommend sticking more with upper body exercises and more exercises that might require more, um, quadriceps activity, um, things like that, while we wait and see if the pain actually dissipates. And if it doesn't dissipate after, let's say, five to seven days or so, then we'd recommend um, go checking out a physical therapist and seeing what's what's up. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Thanks. 
Thanks, mom. Thanks for the question. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we're moving on. So the second question we have is from Melissa um, on Instagram, one of our followers who actually asked this in one of our uh, Instagram videos. She said, why do my hamstrings want to spasm upon doing a glute bridge? She said, no matter how warmed up or stretched she is, her hamstrings always want to spasm. Yeah. So this happens quite often, actually. And a lot of it has to do with positioning. Um, in an ideal glute bridge, you should be laying down flat on your back and your hips, uh, your feet should be in close towards your hips and your back should be in a relatively neutral to flat posture. And you should bridge up your hips towards the ceiling and you should maintain that uh, neutral spine alignment as you raise your hips up towards the ceiling. When that happens, your glutes, your hamstrings, your quads, your core, they all coordinate, um, uh, in a synchronized fashion to perform the movement. But a lot of times people when performing the glute bridge, they're in sort of an extended posture where the rib cage is up towards the ceiling, their lower back is in an arched position. And when that happens, um, your glutes are in a less efficient position to fire. So what ends up happening is your lower back and your hamstrings have to take the burn of the load. So a lot of people get hamstring strains or ham hamstring spasms or lower back pain as well when they're performing any sort of bridging exercise. So what I'd recommend in this place make sure that you try to get your rib cage and your lower back closer towards the floor before you start the glute bridge and then try to maintain that position as you bridge up. Now, when you bridge up, don't bridge up as high as you can, bridge up as high as you can without letting your rib cage flare up or letting your lower back arch. Because as soon as that ha happens, you take the stress away from your glutes and you place it back onto your lower back and your hamstrings. Awesome. I have nothing to add. Good <laughs> job, Jason. <laughs> that was great. Hopefully that helps. Um, all right, cool. So let's move on to question number three, which is uh, from Jessica, also from Instagram. She asked, what steps and timeline do you recommend for someone desiring a career change into personal training? So that's an awesome question. Um, Jason and I, I guess we didn't make a career change into personal tra training, but mm -hmm. we definitely changed the direction that we thought we were going to go. So I was a journalism student when I started training and I definitely, I didn't think that personal training would be my, my career, right? <laughs> I just thought it was going to be a summer job. Um, but I, I do, we do have some insight into this because we have had people who we have close relations with that have made this transition, uh, specifically Maureen, one of our coaches at Achieve, um, what she did. And so maybe I'll just tell her story a little bit, yeah. um, because I think she did it really, really well. And she did it in a very smart, very slow and calculated way. So Maureen was working at a standard nine to five office job. But she had this passion for fitness. She had been training at Skill of Strength over in Chelmsford, Mass with uh, Mike and Amanda Perry. Shout out to those guys. They're awesome. <laughs> um, and she got really into it. She really enjoyed it. She enjoyed working out with them. And so then that kind of as she was using kettlebells more, she decided she wanted to maybe try out going out for Strong First and actually getting her Strong First certification. Um, this is all while she's still maintaining her regular day job and wasn't even really doing it with the intention of then coaching kettlebells. She just loved it so much, yeah. right? So she went and got her certification and actually at the certification that was at Achieve, we approached her because we were like, hey, are you a coach? And she, she just said, no, I just do this for fun. But you could see her passion. You could see how much she cared about it. So we just kind of put a little bug in her ear like, well, maybe someday <laughs> you'd want to be a coach. And she's like, I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it. So she just went back to her job and but had her, you know, her kettlebell certification. And then she started to feel like all she wanted to do at work was 
go play with kettlebells and go, you know, go work out and go train and train people. And so she decided that she wanted to try out part-time coaching at Achieve. And so she kept her, she still kept her job, but she came on as a part-time coach with us. And this way it gave her a chance to see like, is this something, we talked about this in the last podcast a little bit, is this something that's just a hobby for me or is this actually something that I want to do and do forever or, or at least permanently for like as far as my day-to-day life goes. And she just found that after a few months of training part-time, she was looking forward to coming to achieve more than she was looking forward to going to work. And that sort of solidified it for her. And then from there, she decided, I'm ready to come on full-time. She quit her her day job and she became a coach and then decided to go out and get all the kind of other uh, certifications that we would like to have our coaches have. So she took the FMS, she you know, made sure obviously she had her certified personal training uh, certification <laughs> um, and, and went from there. So that's Maureen, me telling Maureen's story. I hope she doesn't mind. Um, and I think it was a really great path. Yeah. Um, I actually just answered this question uh, from one of our members um, who moved away, actually. Um, he moved away and now he's actually looking to get into the uh, fitness industry. So he sent me an email asking if there was any recommendations for him um, and kind of like any insight um, to where we think uh, that he should go with it. So, I mean, the first thing is obviously getting a some sort of CPT, right? A yeah. uh, certified personal training um, uh, accreditation. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> Why do we have a hard time saying that? <laughs> um, and then the second thing is just to get start just just get started training people. So, most likely, people aren't going to be jumping out of their seats to be training with someone who's brand new to the industry. So, it's probably going to have to be close friends or family, and you'll most likely have to work with them for free. But that experience is going to be super invaluable for when you actually get paid um, paid jobs. The second thing that I told him was to try to reach out to some sort of some sort of gym nearby where you can put in maybe ten to fifteen hours per week, where you can still um, keep your day job, but also check out if if you feel like you can actually maintain this. Um, you can get uh, practice and experience um, at a part time level without having to put all your marbles into one basket and realize that. Uh, maybe this isn't the right field for me. Um, the third thing that I told them was that a CPT is more of a baseline certification. And to really stand out from other professionals in the field, you have to really pursue other continued education um, workshops and certifications. Um, so I recommended functional movement systems, FMS. I, I recommended Strong First. Um, and I also recommended USAW and Precision Nutrition as all um, various potential um certifications that he could be uh, involved with. And then the last step that I told him was also to reach out to any other strength and conditioning facilities that were in the area um, that were uh, well known. So like near nearby us, there's Mike Boyles, there's uh, Cressy's, um, there's, uh, we're, we'll be putting out an internship in the near future. Um, but basically nothing really beats um, hands-on real world experience with a place that's been doing it for a while. Um, so basically kind of like, um, combining all those factors, get a CT, get a CPT, get, get experience training people, start working part-time at a gym. And then lastly, get some experience from people who've been doing it for a long time. Awesome. Yeah. And then the, the the list of certifications beyond the CPT, I think that's really important to, Mm -hmm. to keep in mind is that getting a CPT is how to start. But it's definitely shouldn't be the end uh, for for your continuing education. And so you have to, 
I would say if you're considering this change, you have to understand that a lot of the personal training industry is is being self-taught and being willing to be self-taught or not even just self-taught, but um, putting extra money and putting extra time and putting extra resources into learning because you probably aren't going to necessarily go back to school for this. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's not a ton of great information out there just in the general like CPT textbook because it doesn't have a lot of real life application. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have you go out and actually work with people. Whereas you go to something like the FMS and they have you, you know, getting down and dirty and actually doing the FMS and actually going through it and and screening people. And then you go to strong first and they have you actually doing the skills and teaching each other and helping each other. And that gives you some more real life experience as opposed to reading out of a textbook. So that's just something to be sure that you're willing to do and willing to put yourself out there um, and get some hands-on experience. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. That about wraps it up for episode three. Episode no. two. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We've only done two episodes and I, I, Jason always makes fun of me that I'm so bad at math. One time, I'll tell, do a little anecdote. One time we were getting our taxes done and we owed some money at the end of the year and our accountant was like, all right, so you're each going to owe um, about about $1,200. And I started crying. And Jason was like, Lauren, it's okay. We can do it. And I was like, I don't have $12,000. <laughs> um, so if I ever mess up numbers, it's it's an innate issue. I can't. I can't yeah, I think it. we were like 24 at the time. We, we were 1099 employees. And yeah, that was the result at the end. And yeah. Yeah, we had a good laugh about that after. But still have to pay that 1200 each. So Yeah, I know. That still sucked. But oh, well. Okay, so that about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I totally forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, so that wraps it up for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And we would love to hear your questions. So please send us uh, questions on Instagram. You can DM us on Instagram. You can reach out to us on Facebook. You can send us an email at podcast at achievefitnessboston.com or you can comment on any of our Instagram or Facebook videos or pictures. Yeah, and our handles, I think across the board are all Achieve Fitness Boston, so you can find us there. Um, also, lastly, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. That would help us out quite a bit and we'd really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so until next time, peace, love, and, and muscles. muscles.